0: Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I've been fed, I've been watered, I'm back at it for my mega day of first looking every single card in the Scarlet Keys Investigator expansion for players who play Investigators. Anyway, let's dive in, no further ado. I don't even have a song for this one. This is the songless part three of the mega first looks and if for some reason you're tuning in for this episode and not for the previous two, go listen to them, of course. But a couple of things to note. I'm only talking about the investigators very briefly. And I'm really skimming over customizable cards because I really want to cover them in proper detail and get more of a sense of them really with someone else, I think. So maybe Peter, maybe guests if we do that. Anyway, that's I think all I need to say for preamble. I am using a random generator. It's a six-sided random generator. And we have had so far two and four. So I'll be re-rolling two and four. But one is Guardian. Three is Rogue. Five is Survivor. And six is Neutral. What is this first look? Two. A re-roll. Six. Neutral. Okay. We're doing Neutral. This might be a shorter episode then because I don't know how many Neutral cards there are. But we have a Neutral Investigator. Right. I've grabbed that. Are there any neutral customize Oh man I've got the cards all the way the wrong way round. Turn these round. Oh my. There's a card called Hyperphysical Shotcaster. Done. Okay. It is customizable. Holy crumbs. Okay. Got those cards. The rustles of cards. Hyperphysical Shotcaster. What the hell? Wow. Okay, and I'll just make sure I've got my previews ready. So Mythos Busters previewed Charlie Kane. Shout out to Mythos Busters. I hate them so much, those rotters. But apart from that, the other neutrals, we previewed one and Reddit previewed one. And then we also previewed one of the weaknesses, as did Optimal Play and did Miskadon University Radio. And those chumps at Mythos Busters also previewed one of the basic weaknesses, just to keep us on our toes. OK, Charlie Kane, the politician, 1111 for stats, civic, and socialite traits. Love that. You have three additional ally slots. Where normally investigators have one, Charlie has four right out the gate. Free trigger. During a skill test you're performing, exhaust an ally asset you control. For this test, you get plus one skill value, plus an additional plus one for each skill icon that ally asset has that matches this test's type. Elder Sign Effect plus three, ready an ally asset at your location. Six health, six sanity. Weenie. It can be arranged, it's just a matter of acceptable terms. Now that reminds me, of the cards we've previewed so far, Charlie can take the Summon Servitor, but it only has a Willpower icon. But, well, it does buff his... If you were to give it Claws That Catch and Jaws That Snatch, you could have a Summon Servitor that sort of gets work done for you, Did we have any other allies in Mystic? We had El Rubash. So two in the Mystic faction there. And in Seeker we had Mega Malison, right? That was the only only ally asset there. Funny, really, that in the pack where Charlie comes out there aren't a slew more allies. But also makes sense, I guess, in that he can draw upon allies from across the factions. So... It's not that every faction needs loads, because he can take all of them. And that's because here's deck size is 30. At deck creation, you pick two classes, and your deck building options are allies, zero to five, neutral zero to five, and then cards from your chosen classes, zero to two. So he has two off class that he can take anything of, but also it's only allies that he goes to level five. And he has Bonnie Walsh, burden of leadership and one random basic weakness. We talked about Charlie in our approaches to deck building or ways you can get thinking about an investigator episode. I don't think we were emphatic enough about how powerful it is to start with four ally slots. It's incredible. But also that ability, now that I've actually played with a bit of Charlie testing out, is hella strong. It means for one-icon cards, like, say, a laboratory assistant has an intellect icon, you can get your stat to a three. If you have a two-icon card, a pair of icons, you get your stat to a four. But also, say you have four allies down, which you should be trying to do as Charlie, you can do plus two, plus two for one test, so go to five, and plus two, plus two for another test and go to five, or you can really spike high for a single test if you want to. So you care about the allies you have, but you also want to look for allies that have icons that match, and also you might think more carefully about allies that exhaust or have other abilities, because, you you know, for say for a beat cop, do you want to exhaust a beat cop for plus 2 to your combat, as well as the static boost, so plus 3? Or if it's a beat cop 2, are you holding on to it because you want to tap it just for a testless damage? That kind of decision point is really fun in Charlie and something to look at. I think Charlie is really good. I think the challenge I had in Charlie, my deck was Survivor Rogue. And what I found most difficult was just getting um, Compression. So I could pass tests pretty well. But when I wanted to get multiple clues in an action or multiple damage in a hit, that's where I struggled a bit. So I think as a result, he's quite nice in Solo where you don't care too much about Compression But I'd really like to see some good multiplayer builds that allow him to do more things. Just a quick shout-out as well. He's awesome with Miss Doyle because that gives you two allies for one slot and a way of boosting a stat to five. So Miss Doyle is the leader of the cat army. And I've also tried Summoned Hound. Is it called Summoned Hound? Summoned Hound? No. Summoned Beast? I search for Summoned. Yeah, it is Summoned Hound. Wow. So the Summoned Hound and Summoned Servitor. Confusing. So Summoned Hound is the mystic 1xp ally that gives you a free fight or investigate every turn when you exhaust it at a stat of 5. So again, another boost to get your stat to 5. So you've got ways of working around the stats. The fascinating thing about Charlie is that you can have any two factions in there so you could say, I want to do a fighter in Charlie, and maybe you're running Guardian for some combat boosts and Tesla's damage, and then what are you putting in with that? Maybe you're putting in Survivor because you're going to do some tricks about failing. Maybe you're putting in Rogue? The one that I'm not sure about is Mystic, but I wonder if, given that we've seen Amina have some things in Mystic that kind of don't care about arcane slots... Maybe that could work in Charlie too, and I'm going to go zooming straight back. I mentioned obviously already the Summon Servitor, which is a kind of cool way of getting a stat to a 4. Power Word gives you some parlays. and then the Sickle, the Dowsing Rod, the Pentacles, the Hello Chalice, they give you, pl- I mean, they're not giving you enough of a boost really to be landing them. But the Empty Arcane slot thing is a thing, Right. If you're not running arcane slots, you could do Eldritch Initiation. You could do Explosive Ward. That's Tesla's damage. String of Curses is kind of nice. Binder's Jar, <laughs> just wonderful. Astral Mirror. Unfortunately, Astral Mirror doesn't give you more ally slots. Otherwise, actions to play allies would be just what he needs. The area I feel he's squeezed at the most is he can't. He just needs loads of actions to get all the allies he wants him to play. Once he has them. He's singing. Anyway, I'm rushing over him slightly because I know we've talked about him before and I know we'll talk about him again. His signature is Bonnie Walsh, Loyal Assistant. Three cost asset, double wild icon. So this means if you exhaust Bonnie to boost, you get plus two to your stat and then plus another one because you add plus one to whatever the icons are. So she's a plus three. Just with Bonnie, he effectively has a stat line of four, 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 four once per turn. Ally, civic and assistant traded, Charlie Kane deck only. Reaction, after you exhaust Bonnie Walsh, ready another ally asset you control. Limit once per round. She doesn't have an exhaust ability, but of course, Charlie gives her an exhaust ability. 2 health, 2 sanity, takes up an ally slot. Izuadi Therianto's art, you've got Charlie in the background studying some kind of Cthulhu statue, and Bonnie is busily taking notes. Flavour is one of the best bits of flavour in the game. Don't forget you have a 9pm appointment with Mr. Sanford. Shall I book your usual table at La Bella Luna? Also, you bought me a wristwatch for my birthday. Thank you very much. Lovely shout out about the kind of people that Charlie might be associating with. He's seeing Mr. Sanford from the Silver Twilight Lodge, and he's meeting them at La Bella Luna, which is an O'Banian mobster front for, for a casino and a speakeasy and everything else. Love it. Charlie's willing to associate with anyone if it means he can get the job done. So she's really great. So not only does she exhaust and give you plus three, if you've exhausted another ally to do that, you then ready that ally. You could then exhaust that ally straight away. Yes. So again, say I have that laboratory assistant, I could get plus two from the laboratory assistant, plus three from Bonnie, and then exhaust the laboratory assistant again because they've readied with Bonnie for another plus two. That's plus seven, so I'm at an eight stat. But I think where it's stronger is you use Bonnie in the first test when you've exhausted one thing, and it then sets you up having more tests. Another area that Charlie is challenged is if you put all of your icons into one test, you're kind of stuck for the rest, unless you're using testless shenanigans and actually the summon hound play that i was doing one of the challenges there is that you're giving yourself essentially an extra action to investigate or fight but you need to have enough ways of that one is at five but you need to have enough other boosts to make it worthwhile and his weakness is burden of leadership it's a treachery it's floor traded revelation if you control no ally assets shuffle burden of leadership back into your deck so far so simple Otherwise, for each ally asset you control, either exhaust it or deal it one direct damage and one direct horror. I tell myself it was for the greater good. Was it, Bonnie? He's struggling, he's having a cigar and a glass of whiskey, and he's wrestling with what he's done. Now, this is a fascinating one for me. As I pointed out, as I read it out, no allies, it just whiffs. But if you've got no allies in Charlie, maybe something is going wrong, even after turn one. If you have allies, you're either exhausting them or dealing one direct damage and one direct horror. So if you're running any of the Seeker allies that are not that have uneven stat lines, normally one health and two sanity, they're gonna get killed by this. If you're running any allies that have taken some damage or horror, they might get killed off by this. If you're running Peter Sylvester and Jessica Hyde, they have uneven stats as well, where they have one health or one sanity respectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did that the right way around. So all of them were going to get sniped by this. Bonnie is safe from it. If you give her a damage and a horror, she can still take one and one. If you've spread out any damage and horror you've taken from other effects, like failing treacheries, it's going to make this a bit harder. Of course, it doesn't automatically snipe all of your allies, because you can choose to exhaust them instead. But annoyingly, if you draw this in upkeep and you choose to exhaust all of your allies the window at the, or the point at which they ready has been just before you drew this card. So that means you have exhausted allies for the next turn. If you were to draw this in turn, maybe you can get away with, Ah oh, okay, I've done my tests for the turn. I'm going to just exhaust all of these allies. The other thing is if your allies are already exhausted and you draw this, you can't choose to exhaust them. You have to deal them one direct damage and one direct horror pretty sure yeah there's no no ability to choose to exhaust something that's already exhausted so that's quite nasty as well i don't think i say any more about charlie at this juncture i think he is fascinating and fun the little i have played with him maybe four or five scenarios i've really loved and i think he was easier to pilot than i expected so that that bodes well i suppose i was worried that he'd be really hard There's definitely more ironing out I need to do with my deck, and I'm really looking forward to exploring him more. So, on to the Hyperphysical Shotcaster. Oh my goodness, wow. It's not science-traded, I can't believe it. (laughs) The art is by J.B. Kazakop. It does look like a gun, but part of the barrel is detached from the rest and just sort of hovering. It's a four-cost asset no xp level because it's customizable subtitle theoretical device and it has a wild icon item relic weapon and firearm customizable uses four ether if hyperphysical shotcaster has no ether discard it spend one ether resolve the manifest ability of the hyperphysical shotcaster's current form and there's a free trigger exhaust hyperphysical shotcaster change its form to one you have unlocked on its upgrade sheet it has takes of a hand slot so at the moment it is garbage right because it starts with no manifest form as far as i can see so you can spend an ether to resolve the the non-ability that you have and that's it so this is really not a level zero card and the exhaust ability is also blank because you don't have any other forms. So we're going to have to look at the customizable forms. We've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. All of these are 2 XP apart from the last two that are 4 XP. So the first 2 XP, Rail Shooter. Hyperphysical Shotcaster has this form. Manifest. Fight. Fight with any skill. This attack deals plus 1 damage. So you could... Spend 2 XP, so this is a 1 XP card. You'd have the Hyperphysical Shotcaster with Rail Shooter, and that means this form is it's so weird that it has forms and manifests. The manifest ability for this, spending an Aether is fight. Fight with any skill, does plus 1 damage. The cool thing about that is, even though it's not giving you a boost, doesn't matter which investigator you are, you can use your best stat. The wild thing about that as well is that that means that you could fight with Intellect, If you're a seeker, you could fight with agility if you're a rogue. You could fight with willpower using this if you are a mystic. Kind of wild. Second ability, Telescanner. Hyperphysical Shotcaster has this form. Manifest, investigate. Investigate with any skill. If you succeed, discover a clue at any revealed location instead of your location. Hmm, I'm pausing on that. Does that mean you can't discover a clue on your location? You have to choose... If you succeed, discover a clue at any revealed. Oh, no, no. Any revealed includes your location if yours is revealed as well. Okay, got there in the end. Wow. So for 4 XP, this could be fight with any skill and investigate with any skill. It's your one-stop shop for all of your needs, if you have a good stat. Then there's Translocator. There's a new form. Manifest evade. Attempt to evade with any skill. Before or after this attempt... You may move an investigator or a non-elite enemy at your location to a connecting location or vice versa. Oh, I love that. Lots of trickiness to be had there. You can evade with your best skill. It's great. Before the attempt, you could move another investigator away and then you'd evade and you'd leave. But also you could pull an enemy to your location, which you then evade, or you could move yourself after the evade. A lot of combined abilities there. So for just 2xp, the Hyperphysical Shotcaster could be a Translocator, and you'd get this kind of Mists of style thing. It's also a bit like Jeanne Beauregard. Reality Collapser. Hyperphysical Shotcaster has this form, Manifest, test any skill 3. If you succeed, discard from play a non-weakness treachery that's not attached to an elite enemy. Man. And then there's a fifth form here, which I'm going to read. It's Matterweaver. Choose an asset in your hand and test any skill X where X is that asset's cost. If you succeed, play that asset at no cost. So for four cost, I play the Hyperphysical Shotcaster. It's a a one XP card with Matterweaver. And I can then pick and play assets by testing skill in my hand, uh, testing the skill of their cost, and play them for free. And if I took Reality clapser as well, I could get rid of Treacheries. You could take 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all five manifest abilities, and this is definitely your one-stop shop. (laughs) My mind is boggling here. I love that it uses ether, so there's no way at the moment of putting more ammo on it, more charges on it, and it gives you that vagueness that it could be anything. Because it's weapon and firearm traded, you could do some firearm shenanigans... But a lot of firearm shenanigans is like adding ammo or spending ammo, and this doesn't have ammo. The weapon means that Carolyn couldn't take this as soon as you put any XP into it, and that means this would be really bad for her. It's not a Carolyn card. The last two abilities, Etheric Link. The Shotcaster enters play with two additional Ether. That's generous, and strikingly that's four XP to do that rather than normal two. An empowered configuration while using a manifest ability, you get plus two skill value. Wow, okay. So you could pick the things that you're going to use this for and get the boosts. This is really cool. It's very generic, I'd say. I'm really shocked it doesn't have science as it, but it gives you such a choice for what you want it to be. And the amazing thing is I could look through someone's deck, see they have the Shotcaster, and really not have any clue about what they're going to be using for it. So it could be a tool that you're putting in with Etheric Link, Empowered Configuration, and Telescanner, and you're using this as your Investigate tool. That's 10 XP for this four-cost card with six Ether that gives you plus two, and every time you use it, you get a clue from anywhere. But someone else could be using it as an Evade and a Matter Weaver, maybe with Etheric Link as well, and they're using it to play cards for cheap and Evade if they need to and switch in form absolutely funky real weird love it i think it's a really nice way of doing a sciencey type thing that it's not like the lightning gun or the acidic core. that's just oh this does loads of damage it's like this is just weird this is gonna hurt your head it's terrific next is tool belt old bottle We announced this card at Drawn to the Flame, so you can listen to our episode there. It's a two-cost asset, willpower icon, item and clothing. Each detached asset takes up no slots, and its text box is treated as if it were blank, except for traits. And there's a free trigger exhaust tool belt. Choose one. Attach a tool asset in your player to tool belt. Switch a tool asset in your player with an attached asset, or detach an attached asset. Takes up the body slot. Now, I'm not going to say too much more about this because we've talked about it already, I think I did mention in the Seeker episode about putting the Hawkeye Folding camera or putting the, I want to say lab cloak, but it's not that, dissection tools on it. I think if a card has tokens on it, those tokens keep their state even if the card text is blank. I'm pretty sure that's the case, so they don't stop being evidence while they're on the tool belt. And that means I think Daryl could still spend evidence off cards in the tool belt, but I could be wrong. If you want to correct me on that, please do point me to the right point of the rules. It's one of those deeper parts of the rules that I don't know about. I'm not sure what more to add really about tool belt at this point. We've seen plenty of tools around. We know Kaimani likes tools, so Kaimani, they might want to run this. But beyond that, I'm just interested to see where it kind of ends up and i think for me the the thing that really springs out is probably you want to use it in a way where you have a tool that you don't mind not having around and then you pull it out at the key moment so whether that's a gravedigger shovel now i need a clue or whether that's a chainsaw now i need to fight what i'd add is that again the very generous use of how the swapping works that you're not worried about, oh, but if I take this off this turn, I can't take that thing on it, and blah, 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 It's just made a lot simpler by saying when you exhaust this, you can attach a tool asset in your player to the belt, switch a tool asset in your player with an attached asset, or detach one. Whatever you need it to do, it'll do. So yeah, the other hang-up I have about this is it's obviously more actions to make this thing work, but I think it's probably a useful... It gives you many more slots for tools if you need them. Next we have Refine. It's Supply and Double Traded. Oh boy. That's a new trade, isn't it? A three-cost event with willpower and agility icons, no XP. It looks like Winnie in the art, fixing kind of a wing, the fabric on a wing. Looks really cool. As an additional cost to play Refine, spend an action. I'm going to immediately assume that double means the cards that take two actions. That's two thirds of a usual turn. It's pretty hefty. Immediately mark a checkbox on an upgrade sheet for a customisable card you own, even if it's not in play. Max once per game for each investigator. Wow, okay. The Delve Too Deep of Customisables, a three cost two action card that gives you one XP. Is it worth it? It's pretty steep. It's no surprise to me that Winnie has it here, and of course Rogues would care less about the cost and less about the actions. Rogues is like sneakily becoming the XP faction. Beyond that, I'd say that is quite a hefty cost. although if you've had a bit of a torrid scenario and you feel like you're going out, maybe you do just spend three and chuck in refine. The icons are defensive icons. Maybe it's something where you keep keep one in your in your deck. And if you're just pushing you over the over the limit for a particular customizable. I suppose the, the other crazy thing here is what if you're running two or three customizables and you want to go up to ten XP on each, so you're looking for 30 XP. That could be an entire campaign's worth of XP just on three cards in your deck. Six 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 cards, three two copies of each. Or could be more if you're running a myriad one. Not even Myriad, just three copy one. So you might want to dedicate early scenarios to landing refines and just gently getting those checkboxes. but max once per game for each investigator means in an eight-part campaign you're you're not playing this in the last scenario anyway so you're gonna only get seven xp from this card is it good hmm. feels a bit slow to me i imagine there'll be people out there with shenanigans afoot for it and i'm here for that Next is Flashlight Level 3, a card designed by the Council in Exile at Arkham Knights 2020, so a couple of years ago. Intellect and Agility icons, it's gained an Agility icon. Item and tool, uses four supplies. Reaction, when you perform a skill test while investigating or attempting to evade, spend one supply. This skill. Te- uh, this test gets minus two difficulty, takes up a hand slot. This is a really nice design. Extra supply. And then no longer is the Flashlight an Investigate ability. This now combos with other Investigate abilities. You can just Investigate normally and still get the minus two. But if you want to get this to combine with, say, Investigating with, Hmm. I don't know, a Fingerprint kit, say, you can get the Boost from Fingerprint kit and use this to drop the difficulty. I particularly like that it helps with the Evade. I guess you're shining the torch in the enemy's eyes. In Solo, I've run a lot of Flashlight for, particularly for low intellect investigators. And in solo, I often evade as a go-to enemy solution. And this is both. 3 XP, pricey, I think, but I think this is powerful. So it makes sense to me. And next, we have Soul Sanctification, which was announced by Reddit. Well done, Reddit. This is unique. The art is terrifying by Brian Valenzuela. He did Sin Eater as well. Null costed 3 XP. It's a ritual, it's permanent and exceptional traited, so it's 6 XP. For every point of damage and or horror you heal, in excess of an investigator's current damage or horror, place one resource on soul sanctification as an offering. This still counts as healing. Free trigger, spend one offering, you get plus two skill value for this test. Limit twice per test. This is lovely, delightful, very strange... The reason I think it's lovely is one of the tensions we've talked about in Vincent a lot is you play your emergency aid and heal two, but you the person you're healing only needs to heal one. And do you wait and not give them an on-the-mend and not heal them because you want to get value, quote marks, out of the healing? Do you hold back? A better example is actually, say, the bone saw. Someone's taken four damage out of their six health do you use the bone store ability on them and get them back to full or do you wait for them to take one more damage that you get the full five heal probably not you just you just hold off with soul sanctification in play you go for it you heal them four, and the extra point that you heal goes on top of soul sanctification that means you've then got a plus two that you can spend an offering from soul sanctification to heal you've given them an on the mend so they've got a plus two. And you've got a plus two now, which is just lovely. So you might then end up doing lots of healingy things in Vincent and running Soul Sanctification and maybe going a little bit lighter on skills because you're going to heal people in excess. And by healing them in excess, you're just going to get these boosts. Carolyn, of course, likes this because it also works with horror as well. And Carolyn might even like it more because her ability is more around generating resources. So the fact that she could be... Now, getting boosts out of it as well is, I think, really generous. And yeah, beyond that, I think it's fine. I don't know if it finds a home in pretty much anyone beyond that. The only other thing that you could do with this is if you are running Earthly Serenity and you smash that Earthly Serenity test and you can heal six damage across the party and there's only five or four, all of the excess that you've healed, you just turn it into boosts and you're like, yeah, I'm good to go. That's going to power me up for later. Seems pretty nice. And, I mean, the fact that they've put a limit on the spending suggests to me that you could go crazy with healing. I wonder if you're allowed to heal people who are fully healed as well. I'm not 100% sure on the wording, but if I come to you and I'm fully healthy, I've taken no damage or horror, can you still give me healing because of soul sanctification? Or do I need to have at least one damage or horror before the soul sanctification kicks in? don't know it would be good to know and finally we have five basic weaknesses maybe i could have split these basic weaknesses up across the episodes but i'm i don't mind i don't mind doing it this way first is lurker in the dark it is a basic weakness enemy three fight two health one of aid monster and shog off traded lovely guardian investigator only hunter spawn at any connecting location Lurker in the Dark can only be attacked or damaged using weapon assets or tactic events and takes one fewer damage from each source. It can only be attacked or damaged using weapons or tactics and takes one fewer damage. It hits for a damage. Art is a wonderful creepy monster with teeth all over the place and eyes all over the place. So it's great little detail here, isn't it? The 2 health means that if you're hitting it with a 2 damage solution, you're going to have to hit it twice. So you really want a three damage solution. Most guardians who are fighters would be building up to a three damage solution anyway. You might want to play something like toe-to-toe, but that only deals plus one damage. And so that would be a real nuisance for this. You don't want to do toe-to-toe. Tactic events, even if you play, I don't know, a get over here or a counter punch, it's sort of shutting down the extra damage for them, the little one buff. In Nathaniel, you don't mind because you're going up to three, but you want to think quite carefully about landing the three damage. I guess a two 2 damage weapon and a vicious blow is the way you do it, but that's still taxing you a vicious blow. It's not nice. So awkward would be my review, like an awkward enemy for most guardians. The other thing to note is if your guardian is a non-conventional guardian who's not your fighter, and we see more and more of that now, They might end up with this, and then if the fighting is being done by other people, say it's a combat mystic, they're going to be really annoyed because this is not going to be something they're easily going to deal with. So that's worth noting as well. Next is Quantum Paradox. We announced this. Zero cost event. It's Paradox traded. Seeker Investigator only. As an additional cost to play Quantum Paradox, you must choose and discard four other cards from your hand, and it has a forced effect. If Quantum Paradox is in your hand at the end of your turn, reveal it and take one horror. At the moment, as written, there's contention about whether or not it can even be played, because it doesn't have an effect that changes the game state. The cost is losing four other cards, but at the moment, no effect. It's been ruled that you can do that. That ruling in itself is somewhat controversial, because it's a ruling that essentially equates costs and effects. And the whole point about caring about effects changing the game state rather than costs is so that you can't do things like just spend a load of resources to then not do anything. You, you need cost and effect to be separate. So I wonder if that ruling is overturned or if they add something else to explain why this card works. Maybe it's just the fact that it's paradoxical. You can listen to our episode as we talk more about it and where we theorize about these other cards Next is pay your due. This is packed weakness. It's also an event. Ten cost. Ten cost. Rogue investigator only. As an additional cost to play pay your due, you may spend any number of additional actions. Reduce its cost by five for each additional action spent. Forced. If pay your due is in your hand at the end of your turn, reveal it and take one damage. So for three actions, you can play this for free. For two actions, you can play this for five, or for one action, you can play this for ten. Rogues could be running that rich. In a rich rogue, you might just laugh at this. It might make barely a dent in your resource pool. Annoyingly, this is punishing you really quickly. Like, every turn, you're taking a damage. So you are going to want to deal with this prontissimo. Beyond that, I think it's pretty straightforward. It's. I think this is quite a mean one, actually. I think it's because... What this one has to factor in, a little bit like Quantum Paradox, is how quickly you need to then fill your hand to get the cards of Quantum Paradox or fill your resource pool to deal with this. It's not just the hole it makes, it's how much effort is involved around that. Uh, maybe actually similarly with Lurker in the Dark, it's how much effort you go to to make sure you have a tactic that you can use that will do three damage to end up as two damage to kill the Lurker. That's the kind of nuisance bent out of shape that you get. And I like that in Weakness Design, that it forces a consideration. As you've noticed in Think on Your Feet, if you're listening to Think on Your Feet at the moment, I have Obsessive in Amanda. And it's really not... I I try and clear it as soon as possible, but I don't try and play around it. If I lose a card or two to it, it's fine. It doesn't force that reconsideration. Then at the other end of the scale, something like Doomed completely warps how you play to the point where you might not even be drawing cards anymore and then are you playing a card game so i like that there's something in between which is these cards next is ectoplasmic horror i've just knocked the cards off my desk onto my lap this was announced to us by miskatonic university radio it's another enemy to fight to health to evade monster and geist traded mystic investigator only hunter The first time you reveal a chaos token while attacking or attempting to evade ectoplasmic horror, reveal an additional token for each empty arcane slot you have. Hits for a horror. Wow. Kind of not that bad if you're running normal arcane mystic thing, you just whack this with a shriveling or with a sword cane to evade it and you move on. If you're doing that empty arcane slot thing, this could be killer. If you've got four empty arcane slots... You then just like, oh my goodness, uh, how am I supposed to possibly deal with this? Because you're dro- revealing five tokens? Oh, it's just the first time you reveal a token. The first time you reveal a Chaos Token mod. Oh, but it is for each empty, yeah. The first time... Is the templating wrong here? The first time you reveal a Chaos Token while attacking or attempting to evade plasma Horror. Reveal an additional token for each. It's not the first time each turn, it's just the first time. That's way less bad than I thought. The first time you might accept that you're losing the action, you're revealing four tokens, and then after that you're just not. Hang on. <laughs> this is the, We're getting deep into the brain fade here. It's the first time you reveal a chaos token, reveal more. It's not the first time you attack or attempt to evade, reveal extra chaos tokens. There we go. I've got there in the end. So the point that is about the first time is... It's not every time you reveal a token, reveal another one for an empty arcane slot. That would be an infinite loop. It's just, I'm about to attack this enemy. I'm about to reveal the token. The first time I do so, I have two empty arcane slots, so I reveal three tokens. And that's of, That's the first time I reveal tokens. If any of them roll over, I don't reveal even more. I'm with you now. I got it. Yeah, where I was sort of also pa- pausing, I distracted myself, was Explosive Ward. You can just explosive ward this ectoplasmic horror. It's testless, so no reveals. You should have empty arcane slots. And yeah, just farewell. And finally, there's Underprepared, announced by the Mythos Busters. Sigh. This is a one-cost event. It's blunder-traded. Survivor investigator only. Play only if Underprepared is the only card in your hand, and you have exactly one resource in your resource pool. While underprepared is in your hand, each card you commit to skill tests is considered to have one fewer matching skill icon. Horrible. This is probably the worst of the bunch. That's partly because I think it is the hardest to clear, to get to that empty position where you have exactly one resource and no cards. And it warps how you play to get there. And also, while you're doing that, it really penalises you. Losing icons is really mean, I think. Probably the meanest thing of all of these. I feel like the monster ones are not as bad as the three event ones. And yeah, i put Pay Your Due and Quantum Paradox for their factions kind of equal. And Underprepared is really saying, hey, survivors, you need to just have nothing going for you <laughs> and just be completely dark horsing it, which is still a way that people play. So it's not in itself impossible, but it's hard. Anywho. That is my neutral review (laughs) of the neutral cards from the Scarlet Keys Investigator expansion for players. Hyperphysical Shotcaster. What a loon. That was a weird one. And we've also seen the Tool Belt and the Flashlight and Soul Sanctification. Just a nice little suite there, really, of cards. Nothing too groundbreaking, but I also kind of like it. I like that neutrals aren't necessarily trying to make you redesign your deck, that they're just good stuff i suppose i hope you like what you've heard my voice is just about bearing up but i can see my water just out of arm's reach and i want to reach for it that's a a sign that i need water i suppose as ever you can get in touch i'm drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com i'm drawn to the flame on facebook twitter designed by humans and patreon thank you for all your patronage i'm your host frank and yeah speak to you soon don't know why i said that last bit all right bye